know, what could we look at regarding patients who are being hospitalized with COVID-19? And a big question we kind of had was, you know, among the patients who are admitted to tertiary acute care hospital, um, the Northwestern Memorial Hospital, where do they end up going? Welcome to the HAP MNR Journal Club, a podcast where we introduce you to thought leaders who are published in the American Journal of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. This is a show about practices, research, and education that are shaping the field of physiatry in inspiring ways. The Journal Club is brought to you by the Association of Academic Physiatrists, or AAP, an intimate and influential professional society that brings together leading minds at every career level. Physiatrists and professors, directors and med students, researchers and residents, this is your behind-the-scenes look at people and ideas that will influence your future. Your host is Dr. Eric Wasatsky, an AAP member with Georgetown University School of Medicine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Association of Academic Physiatrists Journal Club podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Wasatsky. I'm coming to you from the MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital in Washington, D.C. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Jennifer Olson. Uh, Dr. Olson is a physical medicine rehabilitation physician in our department for the MedStar National Rehabilitation Network, specifically working uh, at our Baltimore campus at the MedStar Good Samaritan Hospital. Dr. Olson practices both inpatient and outpatient PM&R and is a key member of our COVID recovery program, which makes her a very appropriate team member for the topic we'll be discussing today. Dr. Olson, thanks for joining me as our co-host today. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it. Wonderful. No, it's great to have you part of this team today, and I'm very, very excited to introduce our speakers today. Uh, This is two authors of a recent publication in the American Journal of Physical Medicine and Rehab. Uh, The article is titled, The Relationship Between Patient-Specific Factors and Discharge Destination After COVID-19 Hospitalization. First, I would like to introduce uh, one of the authors, Dr. Prakash Jayabalan, who is the Physician Scientist Director of the Nancy W. Knowles Strength and Endurance Lab at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab and Assistant Professor at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Dr. Jayabalan is board certified in sports medicine and PM&R and has an MD-PhD Uh, His role on the project we're discussing today was principal investigator and research mentor to Dr. Lewis, who we will introduce in just a moment. So Dr. Jayabalan, I really appreciate you being part of this today. Thanks so much, Dr. Wazatsky. Absolutely. This will be fun. And I'm excited to introduce the lead author on this study, Dr. Christopher Lewis, uh, who is the academic chief resident in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the Northwestern Shirley Ryan Ability Lab program, and will be the incoming clinical informatics fellow at the University of Washington, uh, which is very unique and exciting. Dr. Lewis's research during his residency includes retrospective cohort analyses of patients who received post-COVID-19 rehabilitation. Um, So Dr. Lewis, really proud of all the great things you're doing uh, this early in your career, and thanks for being part of this podcast today. Thanks so much for having me this morning. I'm really excited to be joining you. Absolutely. Um, So again, the article we're discussing today is the relationship between patient-specific factors and discharge destination after COVID-19 hospitalization. If our audience members have not yet dug in to read the details of this article, I think for our discussion today, it would be helpful if we just had kind of a brief overview of the study uh, as a springboard for our conversation, um, if you all could get us started with that. 
Certainly. Thanks so much. Yeah. So just to kind of set the scene for everybody, um, uh, back in April 2020, uh, I was a PGY1 resident and looking for projects to work on. Um, as Dr. Wazowski mentioned, I had some experience in you know retrospective cohort studies and had uh, been connected with Dr. J. And we were kind of brainstorming about you know, what could we look at uh, regarding patients who were being hospitalized with COVID-19? And a big question we kind of had was, you know, among the patients who are admitted to, you know, tertiary acute care hospital, um, the Northwestern Memorial Hospital, where do they end up going? And, you know, we had patients who were coming to inpatient rehabilitation, but, you know, the question kind of remained, were they mainly going to skilled nursing facilities, LTACs, home, kind of what were those percentage breakdowns? And then were there any factors, you know, patient demographic factors or hospital course factors that were associated with their discharge destination that we could theoretically use to anticipate where they might go or anticipate a higher functional morbidity after their hospitalization with COVID-19? So uh, we applied and got a pilot grant to export a large amount of data from the Enterprise Data Warehouse at Northwestern. And then with that, we were able to get, I think initially it was like a total of around 4,000 patients exported, but looking through the charts and our inclusion criteria, we got it down to about 2,800. And from that, all the patients were hospitalized between March, 2020 and March, 2021. So, you know, the primary outcome I had mentioned Uh, earlier was, you know, discharge destination. So we found that the vast majority of patients actually were discharged home. So 84% of patients were discharged directly home from the hospital, but another 9% were actually discharged to a rehabilitation facility, including SNFs, LTACs, and inpatient rehabilitation facilities. And then another 7% were discharged from one acute care hospital, actually transferred to a second one, or they passed away during the hospitalization. Um, So we looked at these data and like I mentioned, we kind of were thinking, you know, where are these people going and then what is associated with their discharge destination? So we looked at a lot of hospital course factors, you know, during their hospitalization, were they in the ICU? How long were they in the hospital? What treatments did they receive, whether it was steroids, remdesivir? Um, And then we also looked at patient-specific factors, such as the number of comorbidities they had. We used the Charleston Comorbidity Index Score as well as age, the patient's sex, race, et cetera. And so putting all that in a multivariate logistic regression to control for variables that may be confounding some of the results, we wanted to look at all of them in one model and found that patients who had longer lengths of stay, who were intubated during their stay or went to the critical care unit or had an abnormal actually white blood cell count on admission, Um, we're all more likely to be discharged to a rehabilitation facility rather than home. Uh, We actually also found that patients who received remdesivir independently were more likely to be discharged home, actually. So it it seemed to be associated with uh, not requiring additional rehabilitation services after they were discharged. So all of this kind of being said, I think the big takeaways or the usefulness we were hoping to bring to the field was looking at these data to say, you know, when patients are hospitalized with COVID-19, Are there factors we can look at to anticipate which ones may require more functional recovery and functional services? And I think, you know, we really helped identify those factors. And, you know, next steps would be thinking, okay, we know these factors. Are they associated with certain functional gains during inpatient rehabilitation? And then are those functional gains, do they last 
even after someone is discharged from inpatient rehabilitation. So those are kind of additional questions we're looking at um, with some of our other co-authors and co-investigators. So really exciting to be working with Dr. J and the team on this. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, that's a great summary and uh, really interesting and helpful findings. Um, so let's talk more about this. I'm going to pass the baton to my co-host, Dr. Olson, for the next set of questions. Thank you, Eric. So you already briefly touched on my question, which was, what clinical experience were you currently going through that inspired you to write this paper? You discussed when you worked with Dr. Jayabalan about coming up with your clinical question that you were a PGY1, so intern year in the heat of the pandemic. I was wondering if you were seeing things from the acute care side versus the rehab side that made you wonder what types of patients were coming through to post-acute care services. But uh, any further information on how you came up with your clinical question? I can start by answering that and then Chris can definitely chime in. But as Chris mentioned, he was a PGY1 on the acute care side and I was, I'm obviously an attending physician over on the rehab side and I'm primarily an outpatient physician. But um, during the pandemic, we did have significant number of patients with COVID-19 who were coming into our facility and some of us who were Outpatient practitioners also had to cover some of the inpatient floors at any particular time. And so I was really interested, and what I've always been interested in is making sure that rehab is not an ivory tower, that we make sure that patients are coming here based on objective decisions or clinical decisions rather than any sort of insurance level decisions. Um, and really trying to make sure that rehab is an inclusive environment for individuals who require it. And so, as Chris mentioned, him and I had a conversation. He was a PGY-1. It's rare for a PGY-1 to be that proactive to actually want to think about a research project in their PGY-1 year. Somehow he got in touch with me as a research mentor, and I just mentioned to him that this was something I was thinking about, was how he was mentioning about some of the things he was going through on the acute care side of how he was an internal medicine physician and was now treating this condition that really none of us knew that much about, and he had not prepared for it as medical school training. So he mentioned to me that this was something that obviously was quite big in his life at that time clinically. And similarly, I mentioned to him that how our hospital was having to pivot to try and treat this new population of patients who had functional deficits. And so to really look at that relationship, most of the focus of COVID-19 research at that time was really focused on uh, mitigation strategies of the pandemic or clinical strategies to prevent against severe COVID-19 related symptoms or even keeping people alive. And there was a little discussion of how do these patients do functionally? Who needs rehab? How many of them need rehab? How are they getting to rehab? And eventually when they get home, how do they do? The last part is not something we looked at in this study, but it's something we're looking at right now. But the bigger part is still, how did patients come to us? How were those decisions made? And how can we help with those decision-making processes in the future when we think about future pandemics? Or also even our consult teams, how can they use objective data to decide who would benefit best clinically to come to rehab rather than making decisions based on which is not what they try and do, but may happen sometimes regarding insurance status and other factors. Chris, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, thanks, Dr. J. I think 
we really had a lot of questions when we were first meeting. And fortunately, you know, we've had a really big team and a lot of collaborators to really try to work on even additional projects to answer those questions. So we almost had to hone down and really try to narrow down for this paper, you know, what specifically we want to look at. I think, like Dr. J had mentioned, we were looking at a lot of demographic data. And, you know, initially, we were thinking of putting a lot of the socioeconomic and racial disparities in this paper, but we felt like that was even worth its own paper. So that's actually kind of another project we were working on. And there was so much to work on with COVID-19. And as everyone knows, there's just so many publications and thoughts on this that it was nice to kind of contribute to that conversation, especially in the PMNR world. Great. Thank you. And I agree after reading this paper, it stimulates so many questions for you know future clinical questions to answer and possible interventions and going down the line, you know, looking at rehab functional outcomes and all, all sorts of things. And the racial disparities thing was very interesting as well. So I'm glad to hear you guys are investigating that further. Um, but to pivot to my next question, which is a little bit of a, a methods question, I guess, um, and it may be a limitation of your data pool, not a limitation, but the answer may just simply be that's what was easiest for the data pool. Um, but why did you choose to use white blood cell count on admission as a metric, I'm assuming as a proxy for acute infection, as opposed to like a vital signs metric like fever, hypoxia, anything like that? Yeah, this is a great question. And yeah, it does kind of dive into some of the limitations of the study, certainly. So when we were working with the enterprise data warehouse and they have these technicians who can really help you export specific data the pilot grant we got had a limitation on one, the number of variables, but also like the number of hours the technician could put into getting the data. And so we had to be a little selective in what we could get. Some of the variables had already been kind of pre-captured for other COVID studies or that they were kind of building this COVID pathway to get data out quickly. And we looked at weight, temperature, SpO2 on admission and all that stuff. Like those were things that we wanted to capture, but it was actually, those were variables that were really difficult. Um, if I recall correctly, patients get a lot of temperatures and weights and like SpO2 measurements during their stay. And so it could be hard for them to pull those measurements from every visit of the encounter. So a patient might, you know, go to the emergency room, some vitals get checked and then a couple hours later, they get put on the floor and then they get moved to ICU. And all of those were kind of separate visits in one encounter. And it made it really difficult to figure out, even if we captured just the first temperature measurement, would that be true for someone's, um, if they had a fever on admission or if they developed a fever? So ultimately, those two factors of the difficulty of capturing it and the fact that they were measured so frequently, I think it'd be a great question. And I think it would have been useful for people because that's definitely something that every patient is getting when they're kind of coming through the door to help us make those decisions. So white blood cell count was more accessible for us, um, at least for this paper. And just to add to Chris's point, Jennifer, we have an ongoing study we've just completed looking at the functional outcomes of our patients who ended up coming to rehab. And we did look at whether there was any relationship between baseline levels of inflammation irrespective of vital signs, but things like white cell counts, uh, CRP, ESR, and relationship to functional outcomes or functional improvements on the FIM. And we did see pretty strong trends, though not statistically significant results uh, in terms of patients who had higher baseline levels of inflammation, higher ESR or CRP in particular, 
did have less functional progression in rehab. So looking at white blood cell counts, as you mentioned, even keeping with some of the data that we also have looked at in the patients who come to rehab. And we know that individuals who developed severe COVID-19, there is this systemic inflammation that is problematic. And so that's another potential objective measure that we want to sort of further elaborate or elucidate in the future is this relationship to inflammation and rehab functional outcomes. But that's not covered necessarily in this study. Interesting. Thank you. And I know that, again, because of the limitations of a retrospective design, it was a little bit difficult to tease out whether someone was being admitted for COVID-19 versus having an incidental positive test. Um, And I know that, you know, the test couldn't be positive more than 14 days into their admission. But how do you think your analysis would have changed if you could guarantee that that was the primary diagnosis? One of the challenges of these types of studies is you know, association versus causation, or even just the association of someone having a COVID-19 positive test. And, you know, does, is that actually what is leading to their poorer or better functional outcomes? And, you know, in, in this type of study, or just in general, for even other diseases, you know, for some patients, a COVID-19 infection is something they don't even notice. Actually, for like the vast majority, it's, you know, not as something that causes them to come to the hospital. And so when we're looking at a patient population that's kind of selected to be in a hospital, so there's a certain level of, you know, morbidity or, uh, you know, functional limitations that may be present in that population Um, you know, if someone is in the hospital and they're already sick with other things and they get a COVID-19 infection on top of it, if they get worse, is it because of the COVID-19 infection or is it just the progression of the other comorbidities they have? And that's just a really tough question for us to, to answer. But I think if we were able to, you know, guarantee that everyone's functional status was, you know, related to their COVID-19 infection, we knew exactly uh, that their hospitalization was because of their COVID-19 infection. I think that would, one, make the data a lot more powerful as far as, you know, removing that limitation of a retrospective study. And I think we probably would have seen I would anticipate, you know, more significant, um, even maybe a higher percentage of people who actually just went directly home um, because we weren't able to capture how significantly people were getting sicker because of their comorbidities or because of an incidental COVID-19 infection. So inherently in our data, there must be some patients among the like 4,000 patients who the reason they needed rehabilitation wasn't because of their COVID-19 infection. I mean, that being said, one of the variables we looked at was the Charleston comorbidity index, which Uh, quantifies the comorbidities a patient has, as well as accounts for some of the severity of their comorbidities. And that was very significantly associated with their functional requirements on discharge for what rehabilitation center they went to. And so, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. If someone's coming in with a history of stroke or liver disease or, you know, hemiplegia, those are factors that are definitely going to go into the calculus of deciding where someone's going to go for rehabilitation, regardless of their COVID-19 infection status. So if we have infinite resources, we could have done more of a you know manual review of everyone's chart to kind of tease that out. But that wasn't really the goal of this specific study. Yeah, thank you for those comments. You know, I think Dr. Olson and I can attest that, uh, you know, in COVID care, whether we're talking about, you know, acute rehabilitation, like your study, or what we're doing here, uh, you know, in our practice quite extensively is taking care of patients with, you know, some of the longer term sequelae of COVID, that question of, you know, is COVID the actual etiology of their functional morbidity or not uh, is a really tricky, complex question, you know, certainly taking care of a lot of patients that, you know, did not have access to COVID testing. uh, So it is assumed 
that what they're presenting with is COVID related, but uh, we're not 100% sure of that. So it definitely adds a lot of complexity to the care, I would say. The last thing we wanted to ask you, it was just regarding next steps. You know, one of the things that was really interesting that you mentioned in the discussion of your article is that, you know, perhaps these findings could present a framework for developing a prognostic tool uh, to help identify hospitalized patients who maybe are more likely in need of rehabilitation services when discharged. And of course, you know, in the light of your study, you know, this would be potentially a prognostic tool for patients admitted with COVID-19. However, you know, I'm happy to extend the discussion. You know, I think we're all very pleased to see fewer and fewer patients hospitalized with COVID-19 right now, although who knows what's around the corner with COVID-19 or other illnesses. So I'm curious uh, your thoughts about how the study could be a springboard to such prognostic frameworks for COVID-19 or even other similar illnesses. One of the major things that we wanted to, when we were developing the study, is really to sort of come up with a framework of why certain patients come to rehab and trying to make sure that we are using objective analyses to decide why certain patients are coming to rehab. Often, you know, our consult services, they are making big decisions on or recommendations on who may be coming to rehab. And what we wanted to do was now look at, so what's happening right now? Who is coming to rehab? And what are the potential factors that are associated with the necessity for them to come to rehab? And what we found was, as alluded to, is that there are a number of sort of critical factors that occurred in acute care, treatments that may have occurred or severity of illness that were associated with them coming to rehab, which may seem very obvious, but sometimes there are decisions that are made in terms of who comes to rehab that are not always in the physician's purview. And so it was reassuring to find that the patients that really needed rehab were coming to rehab, which is the first thing to say. The second is then one of our consult attendings, uh, Dan Goodman, is actually on this paper. And it was a big discussion with him about how would we then develop an assessment tool that potentially in the future could allow a consult service to more objectively decide who is coming to rehab and who would benefit from rehab. So obviously we wanted to come to rehab, but then we want to know who's actually going to do well functionally. So what we've been doing right now is we've been looking at our patient database of patients who've come to uh, rehab with severe COVID-19 related functional deficits and seeing who does well in rehab, who are the ones that can we predict who's going to actually do well based on their medical history, demographics, as well as their treatment status from acute care. And using that uh, sort of trajectory profiling of patients, our goal is to use those trajectories to actually provide information to patients as to how they will do based on their comorbidities in particular and their treatment in acute care. Um, and I think that will then provide a more personalized approach to our rehab interventions rather than a sort of one-size-fits-all approach, which is, for example, if a patient comes in with a spinal cord injury or a, a particular kind of stroke, we sort of estimate their length of stay or estimate how they will do. But what's not inputted into the data set is how that is some of the other factors. So as was pointed out in our study, some of the demographics, but again, in particular, the severity of the illnesses that occurred in acute care. So providing some sort of tool will help our patients know what to expect in rehab and also make sure that we have patients that need rehab the most come to our services beyond decisions like insurance and other things that 
maybe aren't the most objective way to decide who comes to rehab. So it always comes down to the crux that we want to make sure rehab is not an ivory tower and they were, we're accepting of all patients and particularly those who need it the most. And that's really what we're looking to in the future with many of our studies. And then finally, one other thing that we're also looking at is, I think that is really important is, yes, patients come to rehab, but then how do they do when they're in the community? Are the community resources in the Chicagoland area, do those impact the patients when they go into the community? And so, again, we want to make sure that the community resources are there for our patients uh, who go out into the community and that, again, the rehab services in the community are not a re- ivory tower and that everyone has access to them. So we want to also look at the relationship to how those community resources and the long-term outcomes of our patients post-COVID-19. That's fantastic. I mean, I think you outlined uh, a lot of really exciting potential future implications and next steps there. Uh, And I can definitely attest that in terms of the community resources for patients trying to access COVID-related services, you know, after that initial illness, you know, many of our patients are telling us, you know, around the country that they are having a, a lot of difficulty accessing those services. So, you know, your point is very, very, very well taken. So I think you outlined a lot of great next steps there, uh, but just any last comments uh, about your study or any uh, you know future next steps or implications that you want to add in before we sign off today? One of the things that was kind of a sub-analysis of the paper was looking at like remdesivir treatment. So we had a paragraph or just a subsection on that. And I just thought it was fascinating that you know patients who got remdesivir while they were in the hospital, at least that was associated with being discharged to a home rather than a rehab facility. But we even looked at you know, were there factors associated with the people who got remdesivir versus those who didn't? And we found, you know, pretty expectedly that, you know, patients who were in the ICU or had a longer hospital stay or more medical comorbidities were more likely to get remdesivir. But uh, one of the things we did identify was, you know, patients who overall about 32% of patients who were white received remdesivir, while only 18% of black uh, patients received remdesivir. I think that just kind of goes to the point that, you know, there's a lot of things to still look at as far as equity of care, whether it's in Chicago or across the country regarding these types of illnesses and important to kind of think about when we're, you know, making sure everyone has access to all the resources um, for this illness and others. One thing that this project, and I think the whole COVID-19 rehab-related studies has shown me is that I think there's a great opportunity for our field to think more broadly with multi-center data analyses. So, you know, we specifically looked at one rehab facility, which is our own, and I would love in the future to work collaboratively with hospitals such as uh, National Rehabilitation Hospital or other big rehabilitation centers to sort of collate data from different cities, as well as different locations of whether it's rural or urban uh, situations in terms of rehab, really trying to make sure that we improve our sample sizes for studies like this and really show the benefits of our rehabilitation care for patients, particularly in a rehabilitation cohort. As I mentioned, the focus of COVID-19 research has really been on prevention, mitigation, and saving lives, less so on the functional deficits related to COVID-19. And I think for any of the junior researchers out there or residents out there, it's definitely a whole area of research of looking at the functional deficits of individuals with COVID-19 and then the potential for other uh, multi-center clinical studies to look at the outcomes of our patients to show the benefits of the rehabilitation care that we provide. 
Yeah, thank you so much for those comments. You know, I love your thoughts about the uh, multi-center studies. It's definitely a big need and a big opportunity. And I really appreciate, Dr. Lewis, uh, your comments as well related to patient demographics and disparities. I certainly will say, you know, it's something we're looking at closely in our COVID recovery program as it's quite obvious to us that the patients we're seeing and taking care of uh, demographically actually don't match the demographics uh, in our urban area in Washington, D.C. So it is definitely something we are keyed in on and paying close attention to. So thank you for all those points. I think it was uh, just really, really interesting to learn more about your thought process uh, behind this study today. And we're really excited to see uh, what future work stems from your great publication here today. So at this point, I will encourage and urge uh, our listeners today to not just listen to the wise words of our authors today, but actually dig into the uh, details of the article itself and the American Journal of Physical Medicine Rehab, again, titled The Relationship Between Patient-Specific Factors and Discharge Destination After COVID-19 Hospitalization. So please open up your journals online or in print. I really want to thank uh, my co-host today, Dr. Jennifer Olson, uh, for joining me and helping me plan our, our discussion today. And again, thank our authors today, Dr. Christopher Lewis, Dr. Prakash Jayabalan. Uh, thank you for joining us. I uh, want to thank everyone for listening and hope you will tune in to the next episode of the AP Journal Club podcast. Thanks everyone for listening and have a great day.